0: And Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to be joined by Tiffany Bova today. Tiffany is the global growth growth, evangelist at Salesforce, a best-selling author of Growth IQ, host of the top 50 ranked What's Next podcast, interviewing well-known guests such as Seth Godin, Dan Pink and Arianna Huffington. She has voted one of the most influential women in California from the National Diversity Council a top 50 sales and marketing influencer by Top Sales World Magazine, Um, named a 2019 Thinkers 50, a top 50 global ranking of management thinkers, um, and a regular contributor for HBR, Forbes, many other industry-leading periodicals, and she's appeared on broadcasts such as MSNBC, BNN, Yahoo Finance, and Chera. Tiffany, a warm welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> That's a very long list of accolades, Tiffany. I'm really excited yeah, to go I'm through them. Yeah, i always
1: like, you know, pick one or something. And sometimes it's <laughs> strange to hear. Anyway, thank you.
0: Awesome stuff. So we're all excited to, to learn your story today, Tiffany. We'd love to learn a bit more about yourself, so kind of where you grew up, how you got into the business world, some of the key roles that you've had among the years and the lessons learned. And then perhaps we can get into some of your top recommended digital marketing strategies and business growth strategies that have helped you progress along the years. So if you could okay. kick it off and give us a bit more background on yourself, that'd be awesome.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, randomly, I guess, and and uh, very fortunately, I was born and raised in Hawaii. Um, I didn't leave until I was almost 30. So my whole life, uh, I was. Spent all my time, you know, at the beach. I guess that's the greatest way to say it. But it—it it was a fantastic childhood, and it really exposed me to all kinds of things culturally, um, from a food perspective. Like we had multiple New Years because we do Chinese New Years and American New Years, and you know, people from all over the world would come and visit, and it was just a beautiful place. So sounds awesome. Uh, you know, I—I—I I, uh, I feel blessed every day. You know, now, now it's. Now I reflect back on when people used to say, "Did you used to get island fever?" You know, when you when you lived in Hawaii, and I'm like, you know, I only wish that I could get out of the mainland fever and get back to Hawaii, but I can't <laughs> seem to uh, can't seem to fly back. Unfortunately, I've been trying to get back to see my mom during this time, but uh, they're not letting anybody in really. So um, I moved to the mainland U.S. Uh, when I when I was close to thirty. Um, okay, but I I had been doing kind of sales and marketing for um, a couple of businesses through my 20s. Uh, And, you know, it was just really just to make a little bit of money and, you know, go to the beach. It wasn't anything serious. Um, But when I was in high school, I spent uh, a lot of time with my best friend's family that owned indoor arcades and outdoor carnivals. Uh, And so they had me run all the outdoor games at 16, 17, 18 years old. And so I was a crash course in business. Uh, And I knew I really, really uh, enjoyed it. And so when it was time to go to college, I was like, I'll get an undergrad in business. And that's what I'm going to do, right? I want to be just like my friend's mom. She was sort of a big inspiration and mentor for me uh, when I was growing up. And uh, while at college, they they said, "Mm, business isn't really for you. You need to find (laughs) another career. And so, you know, uh, which I'm not really sure how to take that. But it was probably the best thing that could happen to me because uh, I, I didn't, go down that business path, and then go on and get my MBA. I just said, look, I'm, I'm going to learn from doing and got a degree uh, in something that I knew I probably was not going to pursue, but it didn't matter, you know, got out of college. And then I just really kind of went heads down and, and, and found my way to technology. And then over 15 years, I sold and, and ran marketing and sales and customer service for startups, for mid-size midsize uh, tech companies. And then my last sort of real sales leadership job was at a Fortune 500 company by the name of, uh, of Gateway Computers. Um, and awesome. then I spent a decade at Gartner as a research fellow, which is the largest analyst uh, and consulting firm for tech in the world. If you're familiar with the magic quadrant or the hype cycle, that all came from Gartner. Uh, and I had to really learn how to be uh, an advisor consultant analyst. Uh, and now I've been here at Salesforce for the past four years. So a very different path to get me here. Um, but now, you know, in reflective, when I look back, I can really tell that um, e- each job I had prepared me for what I'm doing now.
0: Great stuff. Okay, so it's, it's technology side of things is is your strong point, Tiffany. So you've been at quite a few organizations. And now, of course, you're you're at Salesforce. So of the different companies that you've been at, are there any specific lessons that you could perhaps share with our audience, which tends to be mainly sales professionals, marketing professionals and, and business owners and entrepreneurs, um, in terms of business, in terms of even managing teams or marketing strategies that you learned along the way, or times that you've overcome hardship to help boost sales or revenue? Are there any, um, yeah, any, any stories you could perhaps share with us throughout any of your experiences?
1: yeah there's a, there's a couple that come to mind um, I'm gonna try to go by career if you will, were okay. where I was working um, but it, it was 2000 sort of the late late 1990s into 2000 2002 ish uh, I was very early in what was called the world wide Web um, it wasn't called cloud and the internet and all that back then and and I was a lope was beta client which was has gone on and been acquired by by Oracle Um but I was one of their first five clients in 2000 of how do we actually socially sell and chat online and um, sell something that's not tangible, right? It was in the cloud and uh, people didn't want domain names, small businesses. They wanted to put you know, their company information in the yellow pages and phone books and they didn't know what the internet was and they didn't see the value. And so I was really early in that transition. Okay. Uh, and so... Um, I'd say that not much has changed since then, you know, like getting salespeople to really embrace the fact that there are these different models to sell, uh, especially, you know, now uh, that we're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't physically go and see people, you know, it really shows the power of how well you have to do marketing, selling and servicing from a remote location. And, and I don't, and it could be your customer to your office or now it's your customer to your office, which is now remote in someone's home. Um, and so the power of technology to actually bring those things together, uh, is really important. And, and I think also during this time, we've seen where brands have not invested in technology and they're having a much harder time in overcoming, uh, the remote worker, uh, the remote support, as well as remote selling. So that, that's sort of one big lesson of the sort of the value of technology, uh, early on. <clears throat> the second lesson I'd say was, uh. Um, And for those of you listening or watching, you know, there's always going to be a time in your career where you have to kind of pitch up and say, I think we should spend money on this particular investment. I think this is where the future is going to go. What what is it that we should be doing, you know, in order to to capitalize on this opportunity? And we have a habit as humans uh, to get very excited about the opportunity that we have in front of us. Uh, and while pitching it to others that may be very p oriented or very ROI oriented, right? Like, how much is it going to cost us? How quickly are we going to be able to get this paid back? Um, and what are the things we need to do? And the emotional argument you have in those situations doesn't work because they're coming from a very practical, logical, uh, numbers-based decision, and you're coming from a very emotional decision. It's kind of like, you know, Mars and Venus, right? Total two, totally different things. Sure. Uh, And so a consultant um, at the time, uh, this was a Fortune 500 company. I was tasked with standing up a division of the business that was going to generate 300 million in turnover US. uh, And so it was a big number. Um, And this consultant sat me down and said, look, let let me just give you a piece of advice. And, And now I'm sharing it with you guys. But it was, you have to fight this fight. From a numbers perspective, and you have to remove the emotion from it, meaning you have to get the executive team to agree on hy- the hypothesis, how many salespeople, how much marketing money, how many people in the field, you know how much headcount can you have and you kind of build this model, and all of those variables are agreed on as the hypothesis. and then I pitched it to the executive team now, lo and behold, my emotional argument was off the table, and they all said yes because I came to them in the language in the way that they wanted me to come to them on versus coming with, I know this is the thing we should be doing. Right. And so, uh, now it became pulling the levers. So with every additional head count, I knew I'd get, you know, if I did X, I'd get Y. If I spent a dollar, I knew I'd get back, you know, a dollar 10 over time or whatever it might be. And so those, uh, that model and that hypothesis allowed me to remove the emotion altogether. Now, they decided they wanted to take heads away from me halfway through this sort of endeavor and okay. not lower the number right so hit your 300 million you know i don't remember the headcount but let's call it 50 headcount you know million and spend and marketing dollars here's what you're going to be using kind of all the things you're going to do but now we're going to take half of it from you and you still need to deliver the 300 million and i'm like so did the hypothesis change and they were like, well, no. And I'm like, okay, well, then you have to change the numbers. And then, no, right? And, and I knew at that moment that I was going to set myself up for failure, right? So, at the first day of the next quarter, I walked into the executive team and I said, we are not going to hit our numbers. As a matter of fact, we're going to hit 40% of our numbers. I'm telling you now, we were publicly traded uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. And so, they'd look at me and go like, oh, how do you know that? I go, because... The model shows that it wasn't gonna happen, right? And I now I wasn't winning at all, and it was time for me to get off that merry-go-round, right? But uh, as a piece of advice, as you are starting out your career or you're moving up or you're having more and more responsibility, I tell you that we get very emotionally excited about what we know in our gut to be true or the data. We have to come to our executives with the language that they want, and, and then they will make the investment decisions uh, um, appropriately. Then the third one, which is a quick one, is uh, start with your customers. Start with your employees and start with your customers when making any decisions. Those would be the big three, right? Using technology to help you sell market service at scale, consistent customer experiences. The second is building models that allow you to communicate um, far and wide, up, down, and sideways within your organization what you think you should be doing, And the third one is, you know, your customers are only going to be as happy as your employees. So you have to invest in your employees so that they can serve your customers. If those two things are happening, uh, revenue and your shareholders will be happy as well.
0: Got it. No, those are some great lessons, Tiffany. It also sounds like knowing when to move on as well. Because as you mentioned at the end, resources got cut quite significantly. And you explained to to the director level or management that it wasn't going to be realistic to hit the targets they'd set because they pulled the resources away. So I guess it 's knowing when to have those conversations
1: yeah and 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 I would say that you know I was sort of moving up like in my thirties, I changed jobs almost every eighteen months, and a lot of it had to do with I was trying to get learn more, do different things, challenge myself, move up, make more money, you know all the things that you want to do from a career perspective. That was my last stop on a being an executive in that kind of role where I had p and l responsibility, people were reporting to me. That was uh two thousand and six, um, and I got off the merry ground and never went back so like did the analyst route for a decade now, even at salesforce i 'm an individual contributor i don 't carry a sales quota, no one reports to me i 'm um, very externally focused, um, and so I think it just burnt me out you know I was I was on high charge burnout at that moment. And I just, yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say, so because I know yeah. you've,
0: you've had a lot of different roles in terms of VP of sales, direct, indirect, yeah. um, and then VP of research. So how does that transition go from being a, a high level salesperson to then doing a research analysis based role?
1: So I am, I call myself a recovering seller. Like I am a classic seller. I bleed sales blood. Like I love to sell. I love the hunt, I love the challenge, I love the competition, I love the wins, I love the commission check, I love everything about it. Um, And then I learned to love marketing, which was very different. And then I have a deep now appreciation for customer service. So when I got to manage all three of those, it gave me this super unique perspective. Um, But I was grinding to a point where uh, I was working you know, 14 hour days, six, seven days a week. I hadn't slept in my own bed for seven straight nights in almost three and a half years. I'd completely disconnected from my life. I was heads down in my career and I literally hit a wall. Like I was at, I was at a burnout and I realized that I was giving far more than I was getting back. And so part of the reason for me to completely change what I was doing was I knew I had to remove myself from that environment that I thrived in, but I, you know, kind of over pivoted in, if you will, right. There was no balance in my life whatsoever. The first couple of years being an analyst, I had to, I kind of played one at work. I didn't know what that meant, um, but I'll tell you a story of the first day. So it was, it was the annual kickoff of everybody from Gardner from a research perspective and a sales perspective. And at the time, 2006 it was about an 800 or 900 million dollar business there was maybe 900 analysts and 3,000 or so salespeople and so we were all together in Florida um, where we have our big symposium event and it was our offsite. so now I'm in the room with all the analysts and like two rooms down is all the salespeople so this is my first endeavor of not being a salesperson anymore and trust me when I tell you like I've been a salesperson my whole career like my whole life like I was I was born to sell in that way, um, and so the leader of our uh, SVP of research is on stage talking to all the analysts and tells a joke, and it's a joke about this philosopher. First of all, I didn't know who the philosopher was. Second, I didn't get the joke, and everyone was laughing, and I was in the back row, and I go, oh my God, I oh, made, no. mis- made such a mistake, right? And then two rooms down, the sales team is like screaming and yelling to the theme of Rocky. And in my head, I'm like, I've made such a mistake. Like I'm supposed to be over there with those people because these (laughs) people, I don't understand them at all, right? So it it took me a good two years to sort of find my way. And then it was kind of four years before I started to learn how to have an opinion and use an opinion in a very advisory way. By the time I'd hit sort of year five and six and people are going like, wow, like what'd you do the first five years? I was producing stuff, but I was producing stuff that felt very comfortable to me. It's when I started to stretch out of my comfort zone that I really kicked up my learning and then I kind of found my way. So five, six, seven, eight, those years were deep putting out uh, uh, thought leadership that shaped really go-to-market models for some of the biggest, well, the top five tech brands in the world. Uh, I helped with the go-to-market model. I helped stand up the AWS entire go-to-market and sales model when it was nothing, and now look at AWS, Microsoft, SAP, Cisco, HP, EMC, Dell, IBM, a little bit of Salesforce, Oracle, and uh, you know, Box, Dropbox, Workday, you know, all the ones that were starting, Apeereo, Twilio. Like it, it was just what an amazing front front-row seat to all that, and so. I became this sponge and aggregator of all this information and I learned how to, I learned a new superpower besides selling, which was sort of translating and putting and finding patterns together and telling those stories in a way that was uh, meaningful to the clients and then changed action in what they were doing. So it was not an easy transition, but when it was time for me to no longer be an analyst and I was trying to figure out what to do, you know, I could have gone back and been a sales executive or a marketing executive, a customer service executive, Sure. And I didn't want to do it again. I felt like I'd kind of found my way, and, it, and all of it led me to what I'm doing here today, being kind of an evangelist for all these topics.
0: Yeah, that's that was going to be my next question, really. Has that helped in terms of, because you've got the sales experience, you've got the research and analytics experience, so you've got the full overview. So has that helped you in your role now at Salesforce as a global, global growth evangelist? So you've got all these different say, perspectives. I,
1: I would say absolutely. And I will tell you that, I think, well, what I was told while I was an analyst, that the reason clients really appreciated my counsel and my advice and my thinking was I was an analyst who had actually done the job. So I'd been a sales leader. So when I was talking to a sales leader, like even though my sales numbers, like 300 million, obviously is a big number, but people sitting on the other side of the table for me, like, you know, one of my clients at a very large software company, uh, I think it's the largest software company now in the world. um, You know, her quota her quota was twenty-two billion. Like, okay, insane. Insane. It's like a small country. Anyway, so although I didn't have a twenty-two billion-dollar quota, you know, I had been a sales leader, and then you know I had run indirect channel programs and set them up as a channel chief. And so talking to somebody who ran channels that had six hundred thousand partners or forty thousand partners, I had an understanding. Or marketing, you know, what it actually meant to uh, do search engine optimization. Remember, I was really early, right? Or using chat or social. I was constant contacts, beta client. When I started doing, you know, internet digital marketing, there was a half a dozen or a dozen MarTech products. There are 8,500 MarTech products today. In 20 years, we've gone from a dozen to 8,500. So I had seen so much of it from a marketing perspective. And then customer service, I'd actually run a call center. Once again, not for millions of calls a day, but the understanding was there. And so I spoke the language, I understood the pains, and it really gave me a leg up because most analysts in the in the tech world anyway, they study it, they've never done it. And so it gave me this unique perspective. And so I think accidentally being an analyst was where I needed to be, and it used all those experiences and job changes I had. I kind of had no plan, and then when I look back, I go, "Oh, it was totally the plan, you know, that that I would find my way." And so now it's very similar. I get a chance to have conversations now outside of tech, where I've been learning in healthcare and manufacturing and automotive and hospitality and retail i'm just out of the tech world has allowed me to learn again for the last four years so i i feel super blessed
0: got it okay perhaps you could guide us through some of the digital marketing strategies or even offline strategies that you've helped you have success in in the more recent roles let's say that you've had tiffany and some of the some of the plans that you've put in put into place to hit these massive quotas of so 300 million. So. What was going on behind the scenes to help fuel the sales team with the leads that they needed to close this kind of business?
1: Yeah, this is, a, this is a great question because, you know, so in full transparency, right, I say I bleed sales blood like I'm a salesperson. So I'm joking what I'm about to say, but it's sort of like <laughs> a salesperson will say, What do marketers do anyway? They add no value, right? Marketers say, What do salespeople do anyway? They add no value. The so age old classic. Sort of, you know, kerfuffle. Um, uh in order for me to have true respect for how I could help improve the relationship between marketing and sales, I had to understand what it meant to sort of be a marketer. And so uh, I'd say that the things we thought we needed to do back in the early 2000s, even into the late 2000s, uh, around using CRM or personalization or real-time communication or, um, you know, using tools to Uh, communicate at scale uh, in multiple channels you know that omni-channel strategy was it's not what it was called but it was like look it's a little bit offline and it might be at that time it was you know blackberries and kind of cell phones you know we were just sort of getting into all of those those additional technologies but i'd say from a marketer perspective i've also watched it change from what kpis they're tracking um, being much more empathetic marketers, like really trying to connect on a human level of what your product can do and the service can do and how it can benefit those, okay. um, really trying to push innovation as a marketer, like we have all this technology at our disposal, but how does it help us have better conversations and engagement with our customers um, and how do we empower our employees to serve our 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 customers better, um, but also marketers are sort of bubbled up to say we want a more strategic role and sitting at the executive table on things like owning customer experience. Um, so I've really watched marketers go through this renaissance of how do we digitize the things we've always done, but how do we remain relevant? And I, and I think this is where that rub happens of uh, they tend to lean on KPIs and metrics that they've always used. How many leads, good or bad, doesn't matter. Like, you know, where it is in the funnel, good or bad, doesn't matter. And, and that's where I think uh, we've got a ton of opportunity uh, that I'm really excited about is, is this thinking about these more engaged uh, and, and data aware uh, marketers versus just kind of doing everything they've always done.
0: Got it. Okay. And um, would you say that now you're the glo- um, global growth evangelist at Salesforce, would you say that there's a particular marketing channel that you've got that's your favorite to drive new business? Or is there a number of channels that you think are kind of giving you the best growth right now?
1: I'm excited about the technology that we're starting to see used during this pandemic that maybe we're under leveraged before. And so, you know, as call volume spike in call centers, uh, you know, using bots, using AI, using machine learning, using automation and prediction in order to serve customers in anticipating what they might need, because doing it from a pure human perspective during a time like this at scale is really difficult. So watching companies, stand up customer service from you know using bots to answer calls very quickly or knowledge bases uh, or chat uh, to make sure that we try to push service out to not just be email or just be phone calls because we know that the waiting time on phone calls has gotten larger so if you can just chat really quickly and have an ai bot communicate with you at the basic level to get enough of the answers done and then if in fact you need a human like you know, then there's a path to do that. But if you could satisfy a good portion of them using the technology. Uh, so I'm excited about the things not used. That's one. Another is the usage of video, um, sure. you know, using video as a way to communicate and not just, you know, having a Zoom call, right? Because I think there's also a level of fatigue happening right now with so much on video.
0: Definitely um, agree. It, yeah.
1: You know, it, it's like a day of meetings, face-to-face meetings from eight to five all day. You feel like you were in meetings all day. It's like you feel that same way now, but it's stressful because, you you know, you're at home and you have the other responsibilities uh, depending where you are in the world, right? Of teaching your kids and taking care of your animals and grocery shopping and healthcare and everything you, you know, you're, everything you have to do. Um, so, you know, I, I think that video is one that has been under leveraged. Uh, and then the third thing I'd say is that, actually using CRM and customer relationship management and and everything that surrounds that uh, actually using it during this time in an effective way means you would have had to do all the work ahead of time, right? Who are your customers? Is your data clean? Do you have all their contact information? You know, are you able to communicate even with your employees that are now all working from home? Like if you've never had to communicate with all your employees remotely, How do you do it now if everyone's working from home, right? And so I think marketers have a huge role to play in coordinating the communication internally and externally, but you have to do it with technology.
0: Love that. Love that. And that's a great point about the AI side of things. It's not something we've spoken about much, but it's really... Really um, rings true now, especially as uh, during the pandemic, it's, it's harder to get through to the larger scale companies. So having things like AI bots or live chat on your website and things like that could be really useful tools. So that's a great point. Awesome. So for anyone that's tuning in, perhaps aspiring sales professionals or marketing professionals, as you've worked at very senior levels at some massive corporate companies, Tiffany, are there any tips or pieces of advice that you could perhaps share with them for someone work, look, to someone looking to work their way up to that kind of level and how they can do that?
1: Yeah, well, selfishly, I'm going to say, I'm gonna, I'll say, I'll answer that a couple ways. The first thing I'd say is that I, I wrote a book about 18 months ago, months ago called Growth IQ. Um, and so it's published in the US, depending on where you're listening, um, but it's also published in the UK. So there's a European version as well. Um, and so if you, if you, if you're so inclined to read it, let me tell you why I think it's valuable. <laughs> is I took sort of the 15 years of me doing the job, the 10 years of me advising about doing the job. And I, and I looked for the patterns of what people have done to try to grow their business in a smart way. Uh, and I didn't reinvent the wheel. I, I wrote the book I would want to read, which it's 30 stories telling you the little pieces of advice that I wanted to, to share. But I did it through stories of brands from around the world. So whether it's Red Bull, whether it's Kone, whether it's uh, uh, Sephora, whether it's Starbucks, like I've got, a, you know, in all kinds of, of industries. And that's the way that I wanted to tell the story. And so what I defined was that you need to understand the context of your market first before you make decisions on how to grow. And then I found 10 growth paths that you can choose from, things like customer experience, customer-based penetration, uh, optimizing sales, launching into new markets, accelerating products, diversifying like it should not be a surprise to anybody, but what i found is that helping people focus on the basics and getting back to the things that really they need to think about was super helpful for us to describe and define how should you be thinking about growth going forward. now, the opening of the book was all about. 85 or 87% of businesses will hit a growth stall at some point in their history, meaning like two or three quarters of no growth to look to declining growth. Um, and now we're in a global growth stall. So everybody, every industry in every corner you know, has had some impact to their business based on what we're dealing with. So how you get yourself out of that growth stall um, and reopen, not just from an employee and a safety and a healthcare perspective, but I mean re-engaging with customers should you diversify? Should you shed certain businesses? Should you, you know, optimize? Should you get back to basics? Should you simplify the business? Like this is a time uh, to take the opportunity to say, I don't know if we'll ever get this time again and I hope we don't, but you know, ultimately, uh, can we be better for it? when we come out the other side? If we make these big investments and changes in people and process and technology uh, today, and I, and, I, and I would challenge to say that the answer is yes, if you're willing to do the hard work. Um, and you may say, well, look, I've, I've got no revenue. I'm you know, on the brink of losing everything. You know, how can you say make more investments? I'd say stop for a second, look into your customer base. How is it possible to re-engage them, sell during this time? You know, do you have an opportunity to keep them engaged with you and get you to where you need to go are you going to get back to the levels that you were uh previously um i hope you you know far exceed that but i think it's going to be a long road it's just you, you don't give up on the customers you already have and don't on give that, up on yeah and you- on
0: that note tiffany that's brought up a really good point so for anyone that's tuning in obviously we don't want to give away too many secrets from your book we want to keep a bit of a cliffhanger there so people are tempted to to go and make the purchase but for anyone that like you've just said that has um, is struggling a little bit right now in business, be it a self professional marketing professional business owner. And they are thinking, look, how can I leverage ways to utilize my existing customers? So people that already know, like, and trust me, um, have you got any tips on that side of things on how we can kind of do a little better with our our current client base?
1: Yeah. And I, I personally, I think that that's the, that's the unmined gold. I think many, many marketers get very, um, excited and fascinated and distracted by the shiny new object of, let me go get a new brand and a new customer, as do salespeople. Um, And So, you know, you have to make sure that you shift the metric if you're an executive to say, hold on, do I, do we want to go after net new customers right now or should we be taking care of the base, right? And so the challenge with taking care of the base is you have to know who they are. And that goes back to, if you didn't have it ahead of time, I said it a few minutes ago, you know, this this pandemic has you know cracked open the underbelly of the fact that much investment had not been made around knowing who your customers are, capturing them into a CRM, et cetera. So selling into the base requires that you know who they are. That's the first thing. If you don't know who they are, then then you're, you're even at a more disadvantage. And if you sell through third-party channels and that's why you don't know who they are, then it's working with those uh, channel partners more closely so that you can potentially do campaigns to those clients uh, that you don't have that direct relationship with. So there's always a way to do it. But I would say my piece of advice here is don't be tone-deaf to the situation. You have to make sure that you're very aware that the communication right now cannot be all about I'm trying to sell something. You know, I I, I realize that this is in many situations, it's I'm gonna keep my doors open or I'm not gonna keep my doors open and I need to sell stuff. That urgency should be there but it should be there with an empathetic tone um, and making sure that you are uh, letting the customer set the pace on the type and frequency and recency of communication you have with them then you'll be in a much better position
0: got it got it and is there is there any way any tangible ways that we can do that with our customers so it's it's always a tricky one i find when when people say be empathetic with your existing customers so is it a case of let's say I've, I've got an existing client base and well, I want to touch base with them all. So I, I, I schedule a call perhaps for next week. I just say, look, I want to see how things are going. I want to see how you're getting on with our current product. I want to see how things are with you and your organization and just yeah, just kind of understand how business is for you, how cash flow is, how sales are going, how your staff morale is going, all these kind of things. Is, is, that, is that the kind of conversation that you mean or is it something completely different?
1: So that's part of it. I mean, I think asking how you are um, with no agenda behind it is important. But if you're using the, I just want to come by and see how you're doing as a door opener. And then you show up and you spend one minute on how are you doing? And, you know, another 59 minutes on trying to sell something. Then you've blown the the concept of being empathetic, right? Sure. (laughs) Um, And so I would say that, you know, you want to lead with that look, we care about you. You're a customer, but also you can't just go in and go, we're here to help you give some examples. Like here are other companies we're working with, and this is what they've been doing to get themselves back to work. Cause right now it's how everyone's trying to figure out how do we get back to work? And that may mean working from home and maybe in a hybrid and maybe what, like, so if you've got something can, that can help them get back to work or you've got the ability to share with them stories of what others are doing or how people are using your products and services today, sharing customer examples as a way to remove you from the equation and say, I do really care about, you know, what your business is doing. And I want to share some value and insights with you on what others are doing that kind of look like you or are in a similar situation and, and how can you learn from them? And so it may be doing, you know, a Zoom meeting with five or six customers and you get them together and it's just, hey, how are you? I wanted to get people together of like minds. Like, how are you guys getting back to work? And so it may be things way out of your comfort zone um, from a selling perspective, but how you behave right now, the things and the value that you add, the insights you provide, um, your clients will remember that long after this is gone. Like, were you there for them? Did you care about their well-being and their employees and their family? Did you add value when you reached out to them? Or was it all about you? Were you just trying to sell and, and you had sort of no interest in what was going on with them? And those two things uh, will, are in stark contrast and will stand out when um, things start to get a little bit back to some kind of normalcy, you know, and things stabilize. Sure. But I don't think things will ever go back to the way they were. I think it's going to be sort of this new future um, that we're going to enter. But I'd say that you're correct. There is a fine line between being empathetic and having it come off being inauthentic. It has to be authentic. It has to be caring. It has to add value. It has to provide insights.
0: Got it. Awesome. So before we wrap things up, Tiffany, I know you've got a top fifty ranked podcast. So I'm sure I I know for one myself, and I'm sure people tuning in would be interested to know how you've grown that so well because you've had some awesome guests, as we said at Seth Godin, Arianna Huffington, a whole bunch of other well known um, well known people. So how have you built that up? Tell us a bit more about that. How why that started and how you've grown it. Well,
1: it was uh, I had been here at Salesforce for a little more than a year, and uh, you know I. Last year in 2019, I flew 365,000 fly miles. Um, and I was on six continents. I gave 100 keynotes somewhere in the world. And so for 14 years, I've been traveling like that and speaking like that and, and meeting all kinds of really amazing people when I'm backstage. Uh, and I have these really great conversations with with people who I, I know others would want to hear this conversation. So selfishly, I was like, Hey, I, maybe I'll start a podcast so that I can have these conversations uh, with people that I've come to know doing what I do, get to do every day. Um, and so I, I said, well, let me see if anyone would even be interested. So I reached out to like, you know, 10 people uh, and everyone said yes. And I was like, okay, well, let's give it a shot. Right. And so you know, two years later and 70 so shows later, it's, it's every two weeks. Um, I've had on amazing guests. And, and I will tell you this, I've learned a ton Um, I feel like I I approach things differently, I have different vocabulary, and there's different subtleties behind my opinions and um, what I think, and it's really broadened my horizons on different points of view, I've learned a lot, like, so for me, once again, selfishly, I've loved the conversations, but that's what it was, it was how do I take these amazing conversations I'm having with people I'm meeting uh, while speaking around the world and bring it to, to others to hear.
0: Awesome. And I certainly agree. I was much the same. I did it in a little bit of a selfish mindset, as in I wanted to learn from essentially people that knew different things to me and that were smarter than me. I'm not going to lie. I don't know everything. I'm a sales guy. So I'm learning from, from marketing leaders, sales leaders, business leaders, and at the same time, hopefully giving value to everyone that's tuning in. And are there any secrets that you could share in terms of how you were able to get some, some big names on there? Was that from contacts from, from your own companies or was there specific ways that you outreach to these, these guys?
1: Yeah, it was it literally was, you know, in the green room right behind stage. I'm like, hey, hey, we're both on stage I'm like I have this podcast. I'd love to have you on as a guest. I love what you said on stage. Sure, but You know, because it's a face to face ask, cool. and, you know, they've uh, met me and I'm going to guess right at some point. Uh, and so the first probably 40 guests were that like, hey, it's Tiffany. Oh, hey, how are you? You know, come on my show. Right. Kind of a thing. Um, and I only had a couple of people who told me no, and sometimes it was just timing, like we were, I'm working on a book, wait till my new book comes out, kind of a thing. Sure. And then no, it's been a little bit different where people reach out and say, hey, I, I think that this person would be great for your show. And, and I reach out and it's a cold ask, like, you know, I don't know who they are, we've never met. But then in a, a moment of time, right, it's like we're one degree or two degree separation. We know someone or they know someone that's already been on the show and that kind of thing. So. Um, you know, I'd say that it's been people that I've met along the way, uh, to sort of build up that, that base of guests that I had. And then it got to a point where people, uh, started to come to me and ask to be on the show.
0: Fantastic. Okay. All right, Tiffany. And is there any daily habits that you've got or any habits that you recommend in order that have um, been quite crucial in your success and your growth over the years?
1: Yeah, I, I'd say this, that you have to become a student of your profession, whatever it is that you're doing, if you're listening to this, right? Whether you're a sales, marketing, customer service leader, an entrepreneur, startup business, you're an executive, like whatever your career, you need to be a student of it. And so when I was in the thick of it and I was running teams and an and executive, I, I always spent time, I used my airplane time, actually, to read, and so I would read, you know, Harvard Business Review, or Forbes, or Fortune, or I'd read uh, Strategy and or I'd read Bloomberg, you know, I would just consume um, content, Uh, you know, now it's podcasts, now it might be I watch a TED Talk, uh, and reading books, whatever it might be, but I would consume, and I would consume on things that I maybe didn't understand, Uh, not exclusively, because I'm not a fan of saying, look, I'm not really good at sort of the P and L side of the world. Right. And I would always hire somebody who would be my financial right hand. And so I, we were sort of a team, but did I need to learn everything about the P and L I chose not to now, some may say, Oh, that's dangerous, but I was not a CEO at that point. Right. So I'm running a small division. I've got somebody who is, is my sort of right hand in that. But, but I would say that, you know, just being a student in the profession and always taking time and carving out time half hour, an hour a day uh, is super important. Because if you don't invest in yourself, how do you expect other people to invest in you? So um, I'd say that, that that's my probably greatest personal growth hack is to just spend the time uh, listening, learning, having conversations with people, uh, and really... Making sure that every day you go, huh? I didn't know that. Or even if it's ten minutes of reading an article, it, it's just like w- getting up, standing up, and walking outside, right? And doing ten thousand steps a day. It's like if you have to do ten thousand steps a day, listen to a podcast. So every day you're doing your steps, or you're walking your half mile, or you're getting out of the house. Um, then you're listening to something so that you're stimulating that side side of yourself as well.
0: No, I love that. And I think just just to add to that, Tiffany, I think it's important that people not only consume content, but consume content in a way that works for them. So making sure that, just like you say, if you're you're going out to do exercise, going for a run, going for a walk, walking the dog, whatever you're doing, it might be that you want to to listen to a podcast, or if you've got time in the morning, time in the evening, it might be you want to read a book, or it might be like me that you're really slow at reading, so you prefer to consume videos, consume podcasts. So yeah, find out the channel that works for you. That's some really sound advice like that. Um, To wrap things up, Tiffany, is there one thing that businesses should be utilizing from digital marketing? So one channel that's going to help them grow from today that you could recommend?
1: So I would have answered this very differently before I wrote my book. I would say yes, and I would jump in to tell you the answer. Like, yes, I think it's this. Um, And now I don't do that anymore. Now, uh, my, my safe response to this is the one thing about growth is it's never one thing (laughs) so it isn't one channel it isn't one customer it isn't one employee right it's it's all those things combined um but if it's from a pure just pure digital marketing perspective my answer back would go towards what i said when i was talking about my book is what's the context like who are your customers where do they shop? How do they want to buy? How do you meet them there? So for me to say, oh, I think it's, I'm, you know, I think it's chat. Well, it might be, but your customers are not on chat. Or it might be video. Well, but your customers might. So for me to answer that, it would be a disservice. So my one piece of advice, um, no matter what role you're in, um, is the answer lies in your customers. So you have to find a way to determine how you found them, why they chose you, why they stay with you, what makes them buy, what do they like, what don't they like, you know, all those things. Because then you go, how do I get more that look like them from a customer perspective? So you might accidentally go, wow, we're really strong in these three verticals. I never knew that. Then market there, where those verticals are, where do they read, what magazines, what podcasts, what websites do they go to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I would do a disservice, you know, the executive in me who thought that I knew all the answers would have been like, ah, <laughs> oh, it's chat or it's video. Whatever. The analyst in me goes, hold on a second. I can't answer that until I know more about what you're doing. So, great response. I would say, you know, take an inventory, talk to your customers, uh, they hold the, they hold the and your employees between the two of them, they hold the answers.
0: No, I love that. I mean, we've had a lot of answers just up as LinkedIn. So I'm glad that you've said more, do the research, understand your ideal customer profile, speak to your ideal customers, and then get the answers from them. So I really like that. Excellent. So everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your business. Tiffany, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I get a similar kind of question quite often. And, uh, you know, I would say it, it, that's such a hard thing to answer because I feel like um, I have been blessed and surrounded and lifted up um, by so many that I feel like I stand on the shoulders of giants. Like so many that I people that I admired spent time and advised me when I decided to write the book or do the podcast or start speaking or come to Salesforce that it's so hard for me to name one um, outside of the collection of what I like to call my tribe. Uh, I would thank my tribe. I thank everybody along the way who um, disagreed with me and gave me a different point of view. So I learned or agreed with me and made me feel like, you know, Hey, I might be onto something that, you know, gave me the tough love when I needed it and uh, you know, helped uh, motivate me when I when I needed it as well so so I'd say I collectively thank my thank my tribe
0: tell us a bit more how people can connect with you tell us a bit more about the book your podcast and the best way people can get in touch
1: so uh I'm very active on uh, social so I'd say you know follow me on LinkedIn um I'm 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 active there uh I'm very active on Twitter uh, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook so it's at Tiffany underscore Bova on Twitter it's at Tiffany Bova at, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, it's Tiffany with an I at the end, uh, and you know my podcast is What's Next with Tiffany Bova, and uh, the book is Growth IQ. So that's the book, uh, and the the British version. And here's the British version. So this awesome. is the uh, this is the UK version, or the yeah yeah Commonwealth version. This is the US version. So either one, um, you know, but outside of that, please reach out. I'd love to hear feedback, you know, what you, what resonated with you, what you agreed with, or importantly, what you didn't agree with, because that always helps me shape what I say.
0: Thanks very much, Tiffany. The show is sponsored by WebChoiceUK.com, helping businesses skyrocket their leads, sales, and brand positioning via results-driven digital marketing, SEO, conversion-focused websites, and mobile apps. That's WebChoiceUK.com. Tiffany, really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. Take care, everybody. Cheers.
0: Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or Book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales, and business growth tips from the experts.